Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Matthew, chapter 1. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. We are beginning a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Matthew, the 40th book of the Bible, the Gospel of Matthew. Get your pen out, get your pad ready. We've got a lot of scripture to cover. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, we're going to begin. Matthew, if you're taking notes, Matthew means the gift of Jehovah. His name originally was Levi. Levi. The name Levi means joined. It means joined. And that was an appropriate name for him because Matthew, listen, Matthew was a hated man. Why? Because he joined himself with a very crooked and a very wicked government, the Roman government. You probably know that. Now, before Matthew was a follower of Jesus, He was a tax collector. Tax collecting was the lowest position in that culture. Even many even say that tax collectors were lower than prostitutes. So it was a very low position in that culture. In the days of old, to be a tax collector was ugly and it was a hated occupation. It would be like saying, like in contemporary thinking, it'd be like saying, you know, someone was a member of the Al-Qaeda or a member of, you know, Saddam Insane's inner circle. I mean, it was ugly. It was awful. It was a hated occupation. If you were a tax collector, you could never be a judge in Israel. If you were a tax collector, you weren't allowed to go to church. You were banned from the synagogue forever. If you were a tax collector, if you witnessed a murder and you were a tax collector, your testimony could not be admitted in a court of law. It was not uncommon for a tax collector to have bodyguards because people hated tax collectors. And they were hated mainly for two reasons, if you're taking notes. Number one, they were hated because they worked for the Roman government. The Jews hated the Romans. It's like saying, how could a fellow Jewish countryman work for Rome? And so any Jew working for Rome was considered a turncoat or a Benedict Arnold. And then secondly, they were hated because they were dishonest people. Generally, they were dishonest because a certain tax quota was set for various regions of the Roman Empire. And only the government and the tax collector knew exactly what that quota was. And so tax collectors would then meet their quota... And then they would continue collecting taxes to exceed that quota. 
And so they were making money hand over fist. Most tax collectors were very, very crooked and very, very wealthy. So Matthew was looked down upon by all and hated by most. But listen, all of that changed. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, the Bible tells us, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said, follow me. And so he arose and followed him. Now, I love this verse because this verse tells us a lot about the nature and the character of Jesus. Notice the Bible tells us that he saw Matthew. Jesus was one to stop and look at people. Now, we don't. In our ministry, we're ministering in the church. We don't take the time to look at people. We don't take the time to love on people. We don't take the time to, to notice people, but Jesus does. And the Bible says that Jesus saw Matthew. Matthew is this despised man, but loved by God. As Jesus was so full of compassion that he would take long stares at people. people. Jesus had a burden for people and he cared for people. And Jesus empathized with people. And so Jesus stopped and looked lovingly and compassionately at Matthew. And I'm sure that Matthew was shocked. I mean, think about it. No one ever stopped and looked lovingly and compassionately at a tax collector. So Jesus looks at him, and then Jesus said, follow me. And what happened? Matthew opened his heart, and he got up from that desk in Capernaum, and he followed Jesus. And then the Bible tells us that after Matthew opened his heart, he opened his home. It's interesting, the text in Matthew chapter 9, it goes on to tell us that Matthew had all of his friends, they were publicans, and they were sinners, and they were prostitutes. All of Matthew's friends were prostitutes, sinners, and publicans, people that the world rejected, but they were his friends because they were the only people who would even associate with a tax collector. And he had them over for lunch. He opened his home, and he said, you guys come over, you got to meet this man, Jesus. You got to see him. You got to talk to him. He'll talk to us. He, nobody else will talk to us, but Jesus will talk to us. And so he opened his heart, and then he opened his home. But then he opened his hand. Because Matthew, then being a keeper of records by vocation, Matthew being familiar with the pen, he takes the pen and he begins to record the teachings and the doings of Jesus. He used what was in his hand. His pen? A simple pen? Yeah. Matthew just used what was in his hands. Now, as a pastor, I often hear, you know, Pastor Rodney, I don't know what God wants me to do. I don't know how to serve God. What am I to do? How am I to serve God? You know what I tell you? May I suggest to you today? Use what's in your hand. What is it that you do? What is it that you like to do? What is it that you have in your hand to do? Well, then offer that up to God. Well, it wouldn't be the first time that the Lord said, use what was in your hand. You might remember from the book of Exodus, God said to Moses, he said, Mo, he said, what's in your hand? A rod. And God said, throw it down. And it turned into a snake. Now, it's really interesting. Last night I was revisiting this text. 
And I said to my wife, I said, honey, did you ever read this text? Look at it. It says, the Bible says, go look it up in your own time, okay? The Bible says when Moses threw down the rod, he ran away. When the rod turned into a snake, Moses was like, ah! Now, Moses is a man after my own heart. I hate snakes. I don't know about you. People have their little thing they don't like. Snake, I can't stand snakes. And so God told Moses, Moses, what's in your hand? And he said, a rod. God said, throw it down. It turned into a snake. God said, pick it up. And when he picked it up, it turned back into a rod. David, what's in your hand? A slingshot. Good. Go get some giants. Peter, what's in your hand? A net. God says, good. Let's go fish for men. Matthew, what's in your hand? A pen. Great. Let's take some notes. What's in your hand? That's what you offer. What's in your hand? Your carpenter? You know, some of you guys are great carpenters. I don't know why, but I just don't get the carpentry thing. I don't know how to use tools. I don't understand them. It's like all my friends, all the guys, they know how to use tools and all this. I don't get it. So I go to a friend's shop. He's got a carpenter shop, and he's over there doing his carpenter thing. And I pick up this really heavy thing that turns out to be a powered nail gun. And yeah, oh my God. And, and I pick this thing, I'm going to go, hey, what is this? What is this? Oh, what is this? And he goes, put that down, man, put it down. And I'm going, boom, 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 boom. He's like, put that down. I'm like, oh, is that what that thing does? I don't get it. Some of you guys get it. Your carpenter, hey, use it for God. What's in your hand? What's your gift? Use it for God. Matthew, what's in your hand? A pen. Pick it up, Matthew, and begin to write down all the things that Jesus began to do and to teach. Now, the Gospels, as you search the Gospels, as you look into the Gospels, you will see each of them present a different portrait or a different snapshot or a message about Jesus. Mark says, Behold your servant. Luke says, behold the man. John says, behold your God. And Matthew says, behold your king. Jesus is the king of the Jews. Now, the gospel of Matthew is unique from any of the other gospels. In the gospel of Matthew, we have the greatest sermon ever preached. You know, it's the Sermon on the Mount. It's found in chapter 5, 6, and 7 of the Gospel of Matthew. No other gospel records the kingdom parables found in chapter 13. The Great Commission is found in chapter 28. In Matthew, we have the Olivet Discourse, which is that killer, awesome, chronological picture of what is going to happen before Jesus comes back. Now, there are some theologians who say, who have some problems with this book. Some of them say that it came from an unknown document. Some say it came from Mark and that Matthew was not written when we who believe the Bible say it was. And believe it or not, there are those who say that Matthew didn't write Matthew. Now, the early church has consistently argued that Matthew is the author of the book of Matthew. Early church leaders like Clement of Rome, 
Polycarp, Justin Martyr, Clement of Alexandria, Tertullian, Origen, Eusebius, all of these men believe this book was written by Matthew, and I believe this book was written by Matthew. Why, Rodney? Because of what is known as internal evidence. Internal evidence means that which is written in the Bible. You have external evidence, which would be historical writings from other church fathers, but internal evidence would be that which is written in the Bible, that which answers who, what, when, where, and why that is in the text. And from internal evidence, it all points to the fact that Matthew wrote this book. Matthew's gospel talks about more about the records of coinage more than any other gospel. Which makes sense because that's what tax collectors would be concerned about. Matthew names three different kinds of coins in this book. Matthew talks about his own decision to follow the Lord. We just read it in Matthew chapter 9. So I believe that Matthew is written by Matthew. Matthew is a Jew who is writing to the Jews about the king of the Jews. And I don't know about you, but as you read the book, you cannot miss the fact that Matthew wrote Matthew. It is so good, so freeing for me that I can just read the Bible and what it says, it says Matthew wrote it and that's a done deal. Hello. No need to challenge that. Matthew wrote the gospel of Matthew. Now, here are some facts. Interesting, I think, about the book of Matthew that will help you to understand this book. It's a very Jewish book. There are 125 quotations and allusions to the Old Testament in the Gospel of Matthew. There are 37 passages that begin with that it might be fulfilled, which is to show how Jesus fulfills all the messianic prophecies of the Old Testament. Here are some key words in the book of Matthew. The word kingdom is used 54 times. 119 times in the Gospels, in all four Gospels, and 150 times in the New Testament. So over a third of the mention of the word kingdom is in the Gospel of Matthew. The kingdom of heaven is used only 34 times in the entire Bible, and 32 of them are found in the Gospel of Matthew. The kingdom of God is used five times in Matthew. King is used 19 times The name of Jesus appears 170 times in the Gospel of Matthew. Don't you just love that? This book is about Jesus. So the whole book, this whole book is about the Messianic kingdom, Jesus Christ, which makes, by the way, the Gospel of Matthew, listen, a great bridge builder from the Old Testament. The last book of the Old Testament is the book of Malachi, If you're Italian, it's Malachi. Okay. Malachi. (laughs) Great bridge builder into the New Testament. So Matthew, about the kingdom, the messianic kingdom. Now, if a man suddenly showed up, listen. If a man suddenly showed up and he says, hey, I'm the Messiah. I'm the promised Messiah. Any Jew would immediately say, prove it. What's your credentials? What's your background? And so Matthew opened his book with a careful account of genealogy. I want to give you a simple outline. If you're a note taker, we're going to look at verses 1 through 16. And I'm going to give you just a simple outline of this section, a three-section outline here. This section presents Jesus, number one, 
as the son of David. You might want to add royally. Presents Jesus as the son of David royally. And then secondly, this section proclaims Jesus as the promised seed of Abraham racially. You might want to add that. And then last but certainly not least, this section pictures God's love and grace for all people. Presents Jesus as the son of David royally, proclaims Jesus as the promised seed of Abraham racially, and pictures God's love and grace for all people. Notice in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, saints, if you're there, say amen. Amen. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, stop right there. Give me your attention. Gotta be honest with you, when I first read the genealogies, and I had to read them because I had to study them, when I first read them, this genealogy, and there's actually another, we'll talk about it in a second, in Luke chapter 3, but when I first read the genealogy, I gotta tell you, it was about as exciting as reading a phone book. Boring! It was awful. As a matter of fact, when I was reading it, I I thought about graduation, you know, graduation's coming up, May and June, and I get a lot of invitations to graduations, and I always go to them, but I got to say that a lot of graduations, you would agree, are boring. I mean, you kind of sit there, and they're calling off the names, and you don't know any of these people. They have 300 names before they get to one person you know. You know how that goes. And you're sitting there, and you're like, ah, yada-da-da-da, boring, yada-da, thinking what you're going to do when you get out, what you're going to do tomorrow, and you're going through all the names until they give you, say, a name that you know. And then you go, yeah, man, that's right, yeah, all right, man, all right. Then they go back over names you don't know, and you're like, yada 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 boring. And I thought to myself, I'm reading this, and I'm going, man, this reminds me of being at a graduation. I mean, it's just kind of boring. And so I thought, Lord, I cannot do that to them. We are not going to read the whole chapter. What I want to do is to just draw from this list the names that are important to us today. Notice in verse 1, again in your Bibles, it's the book or the record of genealogy of Jesus Christ the son of David. In other words, Jesus is the son of David royally. Now you might remember, it's in 2 Samuel chapter 7. If you're taking notes, write that down. David told his buddy Nathan, the prophet, that he wanted to build God a house to live in. And Nathan said, cool, go do it. Go do what's in your heart to do. But it was in that night that God spoke to Nathan and said, Nathan, David can't build me a temple because his hands are full of blood. He's a man of war, not a man of peace. But then God said to Nathan to go and tell David in 2 Samuel 7, 11, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed, notice singular, after you, who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. And then in verse 16, if you fast forward in that same chapter, and your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. 
Your throne shall be established forever. So God says to David, David, I'm going to build you a house and your seed will sit on the throne forever. And from that promise there in 2 Samuel, from that promise, David understood the Messiah would come through the genealogy of David. Now, it's very interesting if you, there's a play on words in this text. David says, listen, David says, God, David says, God, I want to build you a house, a building to live in. And God says, no, David, you're a man of war. You can't build me a house, but I will build you a house. God is talking about a dynasty, a genealogy, a lineage of the Messiah to come and to rule and to reign in his kingdom. So there's a play on words there. And, you know, I read that and I thought to myself, isn't it great to know that when God says to you, listen, when God says to you, one door is shut, you know, he's opening up another door, which is bigger and even better. You can't even imagine. David, you can't build me a house, but I will build you a house. And then that chapter goes on to say that David, in response to God saying, I'm going to build a dynasty through you, David. David goes on to say, wow. Whoa, I, I have no words, he said. Now think about it. David has never lacked words. He wrote the Psalms. David was poetic. David was prophetic. David never lacked words. But here he says, God, this is so awesome. This is so amazing. It blows me away. God says, you can't build me a house. I'll build you a house. Now, listen, very important that you turn your brains on right now. There are two genealogies listed in the New Testament. We find one here in Matthew chapter 1, and then we find the other in Luke chapter 3. And as you read them, you will see that there are some differences in the genealogy. Matthew's genealogy traces the line of Joseph back to David through Solomon. Very important. In Luke, it's the genealogy of Christ through Mary back to Adam, going through David, and not through Solomon, but through his other son, Nathan. So Mary is also of the tribe of Judah and a descendant of David, but not through Solomon. She's a descendant of David through Nathan and his line. Here in Matthew, Joseph is a descendant of David, an heir to the throne in Israel. Now, that presents a little problem. What's the problem, Rodney? Well, because Joseph's line goes back through the kings of Israel to a king by the name of Jeconiah. Now, in Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 30, the Lord cursed the descendants of Jeconiah and said, none of his seed would sit on the throne forever. So the line that came through Solomon, listen, was not allowed to sit on the throne because of Jeconiah's sin. So if Jesus was the son of Joseph, he couldn't reign as the Messiah because of the curse in Jeremiah 22 that no line from Jeconiah would be able to sit on a throne if Jesus were the son of Joseph. Oh, well, here's the answer to the problem. It's not very difficult. We know, look at verse 16 in your Bibles. Jesus is not the son of Joseph. Notice in verse 16, and Jacob begot Joseph, 
the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. Notice it doesn't say Joseph was the father of Jesus. He isn't the father of Jesus. Joseph is the foster father of Jesus or the stepfather of Jesus. So then in that case, because Joseph is actually the husband of Mary, Jesus being the son of David through Nathan, through Mary, gives Jesus the right to sit on the throne as the Messiah. Very, very interesting. Our second point, got to move on. This section proclaims Jesus as the promised seed of Abraham. Jesus is also the Messiah racially to the Jews because he's a son of Abraham. Genesis chapter 22, verse 16 through 18. Now Abraham is offering up Isaac. You know the story. And the angel of the Lord is calling and he said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Blessings I will bless you, Abraham. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.